This podcast is a presentation of UCTV.TV, University of California Television. Like what you learn? Help others discover UCTV podcasts by leaving a comment or rating in your podcast app. Welcome. I'm Emily Hafner Burton, professor at the University of California San Diego School of Global Policy and Strategy and the co-director of the Future of Democracy Initiative at the UC Institute for Global Conflict and Cooperation. As part of our Democracy Talk series, we're honored to be joined today by Michigan Secretary of State Jocelyn Benson, New Jersey Secretary of State Tahisha Way, and Maricopa County Recorder Stephen Richer. They're here for a unique convening that's bringing together public officials, scholars, nonprofit leaders, and journalists to our university to discuss the challenges that democracy faces and how to meet some of those challenges. And this is a really important discussion today because by many accounts, the global fate of democracy is in question, and by many accounts, that includes inside the United States. Half of the world's democracies are in retreat in some form or another. The number of countries moving towards authoritarianism far outweighs the number moving towards democracy today. And it's become common for elected leaders around the globe to use their power to weaken democratic institutions from inside the system. In our first democracy talk, my colleague Thad Kauser here at UCSD led a discussion on the state of American democracy on 2023. And in the second episode, I invite our same panelists to bring a global perspective to this conversation. So let's get started. Some of the recent threats to democracy that have happened around the world look pretty similar to events that have occurred recently inside the United States. And I'm wondering if you could take a moment to sort of reflect on putting the United States' recent experience in a global context. How worried are you about the state of democracy in America and the state of democracy globally? And what are some of the developments that might be sort of most troubling from your perspectives? Can I start with you? Yes. I mean, if you read the book, How Democracies Die, it really just lays out that very scenario and how that has happened in various ways all across the world, that it's not by a bang, but a whimper. And we certainly um, are at risk of that happening in many countries. I think that the our role and really what I see the responsibility is every person living in a democracy today is to recognize that democracies uh, do not exist without individuals standing up to fight for them. What has been true throughout history is not only do democracies die when, and in various cases, people stop participating or uh, autocratic leaders try to dismantle them, in some cases successfully, but it's always enabled by citizens who disengage, who lose faith in their voice and their vote and their ability to elect leaders and hold them accountable, that really is what causes that withering. Uh, And so our work, so much of our work is about educating voters, engaging voters, and really empowering every citizen in our country to recognize that our democracy lives and dies based on them and people of integrity all across the country on all sides of the aisle who, in moments when it is under threat, will stand up and defend it. Great. Secretary Wick? Yes. You know, I am concerned always, you know, about the health of our democracy. And from a global perspective, and even here at home, you just get concerned about hatred and violence, which comes with um, aspects of our democracy. So uh, similar to what uh, Secretary Benson just said, it's important that Um, voters have a well-rounded understanding of the elections process. But I also feel that what has become concerning from a local level is how local news, our neighborhood press, 
no longer has that funding which is needed so that our uh, communities could understand or can understand what is going on in the election slash democratic process. You want to jump in? I, I think the health of American democracy is the health of global democracy because at least for the last 30 years we've been the world's global hegemon and the American way has been the way, but increasingly we're a bimodal world and China is very explicit about advancing its form of government, which is not a democratic form of government. And I think to the extent that American democracy fails and countries around the world are that are still growing, that are still developing their governments, and if they look to the United States and say, well, if it couldn't happen there, or if that seems messy, or if that seems uh, dysfunctional, then they'll increasingly maybe choose, look the Chinese way, which has, you know, this flourishing economic growth to promote it, and a government that is very active in really in sowing the seeds of its form of government throughout the world, then I, you know, I think it's very problematic. Mm -hmm. And so to that point, how concerned are you about foreign meddling or intervention in U.S. electoral processes? It's well documented. Yes. <laughs> we, we, we know, and I, I, I think that sometimes, but it, actually not everyone does know, but like Russians are very explicit about wanting to get in and meddle with American democracy because they see the easiest way to destroy the United States is from the inside. And so they are sowing the seeds of some of this disinformation, some of this racial discourse that is very uh, damaging to our society. But they have, uh, the ball's gotten rolling, and now I think they're sitting back and watching the United States do it to itself. Um, so it's problematic, but I think at this point, more problematic is sort of the internal conversation in that Americans have openly embraced some of these things that were, we know, to be started by either Russian bots or Russian disinformation. But I want to say um, that as a result of what occurred in 2016, that the election community has truly been prudent and have dived deep in being proactive to ensure that our election infrastructure is shored up and secure. I know that um, we as election officials, it doesn't just start uh, stop at the state level. It goes in partnership with federal level, DHS, you have CISA, you have uh, the FBI. You have your state homeland, state police folk who are also ensuring and protecting your election infrastructure. And of course, you liaise with your local and county and municipal folk, too. So I think that everyone, um, you know, is has their eyes and are aware that, you know, election security is always top of the mind to ensure that none of the uh, foreign or domestic inter interference can um, occur. Yeah, I think it, it, I agree with my colleagues. There's certainly, we know that threats continue to emerge from all across the globe targeting our democracy, and our role is to not just prepare, but prepare for ones we know of, anticipate the new ones, and really ensure we're working at all levels, not just with the professionals in our country and intelligent networks, but all around the world, because it's all connected. And the, the global war on democracy is very much being fought out on American soil. Right. 
So to this point, and looking at some of the countries that are indeed backsliding around the globe, we see a lot of examples, though, of resilience and mm-hmm. of countries that are able to withstand sort of internal and external threats to their own democracies. Can you talk a little bit about, again, putting the U.S. in a global context, where you see the, the, the resilience inside the American system is related to what you've just said and perhaps how that relates to some of our partners and allies around the globe? I think the resilience is found in the in our people and and the people who in particular stand on the front lines running our elections. Uh, when you see, you know, in Michigan we've recruited 40,000 more than 40,000 new election workers over the last 3 years since the 2020 election cycle in the midst of a pandemic, in the midst of all of these challenges and pressure. More people than ever before have stood up and said, "We will defend our democracy." This last uh, November election, we were preparing around the clock for potential disruptions on election day, people showing up at polling places, even poll workers sort of intrinsically being hired to dismantle democracy from within or cause problems through that position. And when I showed up to polling places all around the state, it was almost like this energy hit me as soon as you walk into the polling place. And it was an energy of determination to defend our system of electing officials, a determination to ensure it, it, uh, the peaceful transfer of power. And it was incredibly inspiring to see citizens all across our state step up as election workers to personify the resiliency of the democracy that we all defend. And that, to me, is what will save us. And we've seen over these last few years as we've endured these threats that the determination of the American people to defend democracy far outweighs the determination of others to dismantle it. I I would definitely agree. You know, I give so much credit to our election workers. They are indeed the frontline workers of our democracy. 365 days of the year, they are at work um, ensuring that uh, elections will be conducted freely and uh, securely. I also would say, because I've seen this population of voters who are resilient through all of this, are, are, are youth voters. Um, they are on the rise and they are truly becoming um, very engaged in, again, not only issues and candidates, but I know when I go to respective um, academic institutions, colleges, universities, such as here, sit down, they actually want to know who is in charge of creating our ballot. What is the difference between a clerk and a superintendent of elections or boards of elections. They want to have that basic understanding so that they can be informed informed voters so that our democracy is healthier. Yeah, I I think that's a great point. Um, Certainly agree as for who the heroes of elections are, but a, a colleague of mine, Bill Gates, who's at the county level, recently went and spoke at, I don't know, some university, but a couple students came up to him afterwards and they said not that they wanted to run for office, but that they they wanted to get involved in elections. And these were high-achieving students who wanted to get involved from a cybersecurity standpoint, who wanted to get involved from a messaging standpoint. And so hopefully that is cause for hope that some of our best and our brightest now look to elections not just as, you know, necessarily bean counting, um, but as something that is 
an exciting field that is meaningful, that is worthwhile, and that is in play. And so they need to rush to the barricades um, to get involved. And, you know, to the extent that we have graduates of UC San Diego and other schools in the UC system saying that that is a career that I want to go down, I'm not sure that it was existed in 30 years ago. And so maybe that is answering the call. That's great. So key component of the Biden administration's foreign policy, of course, is to put democracy and democracy promotion at the center of U.S. foreign policy. So what do you think about that? Do you think the United States can and should lead on democracy promotion globally right now in the current climate? And, And what would that look like? I'm I'm an American exceptionalist, and I firmly believe that you know we 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 are unique, and that the world looks to us, and so that uh, and and that we have it's incumbent upon us to to share this and to be the beacon of democracy. Now that might change what that means in the 2000s. That meant exporting democracy. I think right now. The best thing that we can do is to be very good at democracy and to show the rest of the world this is how it can be done. And, of course, unfortunately, that's coming into question, but to the extent that we can do that, then that's the best advertisement. And then, yeah, if we can assist, nudge, then, you know, not being a foreign policy expert, that sounds like it makes sense to me. But I think really the number one thing that we can do is just be that really bright light. And I think that's so important because no doubt the rest of the world has been watching our recent elections ever so closely and drawing a variety of lessons from the American experience. Secretary Wei, do you have thoughts on this? Uh, Yes, I do. Um, To Stephen's point, I just think that it should be a democracy that's healthy and inclusive. And when you think about uh, the health, that means, of course, you know, your voters, we Americans are understanding what our democracy is about and how elections are and should be conducted. And when we're talking about inclusiveness, we're talking about ensuring that everyone who is eligible to vote, no matter what political spectrum they're on, has that opportunity to vote. I oftentimes say, and I'm sorry, Arizona and Michigan, <laughs> that it's great to be a voter in New Jersey. And I sure. say this, that, why? That's good. That's good. <laughs> I say it because you have your three options to vote. You got uh, vote by mail, no excuse. You have uh, voting on election day and you have early voting. And at the same time, you have online voter registration, which leads up to voting and also automatic voter registration. So everyone who is eligible, no matter what political spectrum they're on, um, who you are, where you come from, should be able to cast their ballot. Great. Thoughts? Yeah, I think we, we have a responsibility to be that global voice for democracy and the way, and I, so it's great that the Biden administration is prioritizing that. It's critical that we as a global leader, as a country that's a global leader, really take that seriously we also must look within and make sure we are in this moment strengthening our democracy at home, which Congress and the U.S. Senate has to varying degrees not done, uh, failing to invest in our in the security of, of our elections, failing to provide more federal funding to the states so that we can have the tools we need to run efficient and secure and, and transparent and high turnout elections. So I think it's anytime anyone, particularly the president of the United States, is 
is is st- standing with democracy. It's a great thing, and we have to be holistic in our approach to it, both in ensuring we're supporting the growth of democracy overseas and also shoring up our democracy here at home. And I'm hearing you all say that the way that looks is quite different in this day and age than it was perhaps a decade or two ago, that maybe the best leadership we can provide is by creating a great role model for other countries rather than the business of exportation. Well, look in the way that we have we have been on the other side of exportation with what's happened in Brazil and the um, the 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 repeat of the tragedy at our U.S. capital two years ago playing out there, uh, and it's really tragic, but a, but a very sobering reminder of the spotlight that is on our country. And when that happens here, and we and people are not held accountable, it sends a message not just to others in our country uh, to perhaps continue to explore overturning legitimate election results through violence. Uh, we see that then transpiring overseas as well, almost uh, uh, you know, in a very sim- eerily similar, similar way. And then I think we also can't discount the nec- connectivity of those who may be involved in not just trying to dismantle democracy or overturn accurate election results here in our, in our country, but the connectivity between that and, and similar attempts across our globe. I'm glad you mentioned that incident uh, because I think it's a very important one. In terms of the lessons that the world should be taking away from sort of the health of American democracy as they are watching so quickly or potentially the concerns, what do you think the main lessons are for the rest of our democratic allies that can can be learned from our experience here? Well, I can say um, one thing is, of course, is transparency. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I, you know, I look at how we are all humans okay and oftentimes there can be an an error on election day and i just think that we all need to sit back and you know understand that again we're all humans mistakes can be made but at the same time if a mistake is made to be transparent and clear and to educate the public on why and if that mistake was made I also feel that uh, engagement is key. Engagement, um, not only with uh, your constituents, with the voters, so that they can understand and be clear on the process, but engagement even within um, my space and colleagues sharing best practices. Uh, We understand none of this is a cookie cutter approach, but at the same time, I know that when we look to expand vote by mail in New Jersey, um, we actually sought best practices from two colleagues. One was uh, from a Republican and the other was from a Democratic secretary of state. And that created a successful election rollout. And um, I think that once we have the transparency, the accountability, engagement, um, things could move, you know, forward in a good way. Great. Lessons for the world from the state of Arizona? Oh, well, I don't know if we're, you know, we need to worry about ourselves first. <laughs> but, um, you know, you, you asked a question about the exporting of democracy and sort of the Biden administration's advancement of democracy. But I... I you know, I, I hope that even if our strategy is shifting, that you don't have to abandon, you know, a real school philosophy or or the new America first sort of way of thinking it doesn't preclude you from thinking that the exporting of democracy is a good thing. I mean, just, you know, study after study shows that, you know, 
when we have more democracies, we have people looking after American interests, we have fewer conflicts, and so maybe the nature of the exportation of democracy is first, and you know maybe we frame it in America's interest terms, but I think it is still very much something that should be considered by all political stripes as, uh, as something that's worthwhile. As for lessons from Arizona, I echo the transparency sentiment, um, just that uh, you know you have to have perseverance in this process. It's not self-executing, and if you get uh, knocked down, get up and go, go getting again. Lessons from the state of Michigan? Um, that democracy will, will f- survive and flourish only if the, the people enable it and demand it and make it so. And that's what we've really worked to to build in Michigan, a, a nonpartisan pro-democracy coalition of folks all around the state, from the Upper Peninsula to Detroit to Grand Rapids to Macomb County, to recognize that no matter who we may vote for or where we may live, we can all come together around these founding principles of who we are in a democracy and uh, join arms and lock arms in working to fight for it powerfully put. I want to thank all three of you very much for taking the time to be here. It's been a real pleasure to speak with you, and it's been great to hear your perspectives in a global context. So thank you very much. Thank you. You've been listening to a podcast by University of California Television. For more information about this program or UCTV, visit us online at uctv.tv.